Well, I want to read to you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 as we continue our series on the parables. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, so you can turn there. But before we do, I just want to read to you from Luke chapter 22, 33 to 34. And this is Jesus, what Jesus said when he was on the cross. Luke chapter 23, 33 to 34. It says, and when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. You know, when Jesus called his disciples to take up their cross and to follow him, he wasn't just merely calling them to admire him, but he was calling them to actively imitate him. And by far, for us as disciples, the most difficult part of taking up our cross, of imitating Christ, is our willingness and our readiness to extend forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. You know, C.S. Lewis once wrote that forgiveness is a lovely idea. How many of you agree? It's a lovely idea. Until you have something or someone that you need to forgive. And then it's suddenly not so much a lovely idea. You know, there isn't a person here in this room who hasn't been sinned against in some form or another. You've been wronged. You've been betrayed. You've been slandered. You've been deceived. And when that happens, of course, it hurts. You know, it hurts. And, and what hurt people often tend to do is what? You know, the, the famous expression of hurt people hurt people. When we are hurt, when we are sinned against, our human nature, our sinful fallen nature is prone towards vengeance. You know, getting even, getting back, and it, it can be as small as two neighbors, you know, fighting over their fence. Or it can be two countries fighting over issues that go back hundreds, maybe even thousands of years. And that same cycle of vengeance and violence, it just, it repeats itself throughout history. There's, you know, violence begets more violence. And one punches you and, and another punches back. And it, it seems like it just continues to cycle itself throughout history. You know, they did it first is, is what is often, you know, the excuse, isn't it? At least that's the excuse in my home with my boys. Uh, you punched him. Yeah, but he punched me first but I saw you punch him. Yet God is not a God, and this is what our focus is on today. He's not a God who is prone to vengeance. That's not his nature. God is not prone to vengeance like we humans are. Rather, God's nature is prone to forgiveness. Psalm 130, verse 3 to 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. I mean, who could stand, O Lord? Who could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And of course today there's no better or clear evidence of God's forgiving nature than the one we find in the person of Jesus Christ. Who through the cross, he not only made a way for you and I to be forgiven of all of our sins, but in order to forgive us of our sins, he needed to take our sins upon himself. To take our sins, to pay the price, the penalty we owed because of our sin. He bore our sin. He paid it all. And at the same time, he uttered those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And while forgiveness may not come as naturally to our sinful nature as we'd like it to, if anyone here today is in Christ, 
if you are a new creation, then there is nothing that will categorize that your new nature in Christ more than heeding the call to forgive others as you have been forgiven. Hear me today. Forgiveness is both your highest and yet the hardest call you have as a follower of Christ. Forgiveness is the hardest and both the highest call we have as Christians. Yet never are you more like God. Never are you more displaying Christ-likeness than when you are forgiving others because you have been forgiven. And our parable then this morning in Matthew chapter 18 is perhaps the most vivid illustration that is found in Scripture of what forgiveness looks like in the kingdom of God. That to live well in God's kingdom, because that's what, remember, that's what these parables are about. It's a window, it's a door into seeing God's kingdom. That to live well in the kingdom that God has called us into, that he has ushered into the world, one must learn how to live with a generous and a forgiving heart. That when you grasp how much you have been forgiven by God, you will realize that we cannot afford to be stingy or frugal when it comes to forgiving others. And so our parable today in Matthew chapter 18 is known as the parable of the unmerciful servant or the parable of the unforgiving servant. And remember, parables are these these windows, you know, these doors to help us imagine a world that is different than the world that is, the status quo. You know, for this parable, Jesus wants us to imagine a beautiful world a beautiful world of forgiveness in God's kingdom. But not just to imagine it, but to embody it, to embrace it, to live it out. And the, Because for the world that is, the world that we know it, how many of you know that wherever two or three are gathered, there are bound to be some interpersonal challenges? Have you learned that? Wherever two or three are gathered, wherever you find people living together, dwelling together, congregating together, I hate to break it, but somebody is bound to sin against the other. That's why we love shows like Big Brother so much. We don't love Big Brother because we're like, I just want to see how this group of people are going to love each other. It's like, no, 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 no. What are they going to do? Who's going to pop first? You know, the only way that we can guarantee that we're not going to be hurt by another person is, is really just to, you know, stay away from relationships and community altogether. Just pull yourself away. Stay at home. Lock your heart up. Throw away the key. And I bet even then you'll still find a way to fight with yourself because that's what we humans are like. And I, what I found is that where most relationships tend to fall apart is when someone in the relationship, sometimes it's one, sometimes it's both, they just become unwilling or unable to forgive the other person. And a lot of relationships reach that breaking point where someone along the way says, I can't, I can't, or maybe I won't forgive. And it's because of this reason and our human nature, it guarantees the inevitable that Jesus in Matthew chapter 18, and if you have your Bibles, look at the whole chapter as a whole. He's teaching his disciples over this whole chapter that where two or three are gathered, they're bound to sin against one another. But where two or three are gathered in my name, in Jesus' name, the door to forgiveness must always remain open. That when two or three are gathered, if you gather in my name, 
There are no, you know, buts, ends, or wits, or however you say it. When a brother or sister has wronged you, when a, when, a, when a brother or sister in Christ has wronged you, there must always be a path towards reconciliation. And any time on that journey, you are tempted to slam the door shut and say, I can't or I won't. We remember that God's door has always stayed open for you. And so in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, he gives his disciples these very specific instructions. If you read it, you know, he's giving these instructions of what do you do when someone sinned against you? And the path is something like, okay, you go to the person and you share the grievance and you hope that they're going to hear of it and reconcile with you and ask for forgiveness. But if that doesn't work, okay, you go and you bring another and you go together. And if that doesn't work, you know, you, you come to the elders of the church. Jesus is giving these very, these very specific instructions that sadly a lot of Christians we just simply ignore. We're like, we, we just go and like, you hurt me. And they're like, no, I didn't. And you're like, I'm out of here and I'm gone. It's like, yeah, you, you did step one, but you didn't do step two and step three and step four. That, that can I remind you, Jesus commanded you to do. And the point of these, you know, steps of going to that person, or even if you need to go in front of the church, is not to, you know, embarrass them or to prove your point. The point is to win back or to win over your lost brother or sister. Because how are we ever going to win the lost if we can't win back our brothers and sisters who are lost? And so after Jesus has finished saying this, you know, giving these instructions, Peter pipes up. You got to love Peter, eh? His timing is impeccable. Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 22. Then Peter came up and said this to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, I wouldn't say that this qualifies necessarily as a bad question that Peter's asking. How many times must I forgive? You see, because in in Jewish tradition, it wasn't Jewish law, it was Jewish tradition. One was required to forgive only three times. So you had to forgive one, two, three times. And after that, wipe your hands, you know, rub the dust off your feet and off you go. You're off the hook. And perhaps Peter, who's trying maybe to impress Jesus, or perhaps he genuinely understands that the call of Jesus is calling him further and to go deeper. He wants to know, is it seven times that I need to forgive? You know, three times I'm required according to the tradition, but I'm willing to go seven. Is it seven times that I must forgive? You know, seven times being the height of generosity. I mean, when was the last time you ever had to forgive someone seven times? And wives, your husbands don't count, okay? We get it. It was probably seven times this weekend. But when was the last time, honestly, you're like seven times? You have to tell me, I forgave that person literally seven times. But Jesus responds, it's not seven times you must forgive. It's 70 times seven. Which, if you do the math, and trust me, I can't do the math. I needed a calculator. It equals 490 times that you and I are required by Jesus to forgive someone who sins against us. But the point Jesus was making was not just giving a, a number. That forgiveness is more than a number. Rather, forgiveness is it's an extraordinary amount of times you must forgive. It's not that. It's an unlimited amount of times you and I must forgive as a member of God's kingdom. And as he says this, then he follows it up with this story that we're going to unpack. Matthew chapter 18, 23 to 27. Therefore, 
the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him of that debt. So it says, therefore. So Jesus is now elaborating on the point that he just made to Peter. He says, therefore, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as you might have guessed, the king symbolizes God, while the servant who's brought before the king is really symbolizing anyone who serves the king, who's part of the kingdom. And we learn that this particular servant owes the king a lot of money. It says 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was a unit of measurement in that day, one that we obviously don't follow today. But what would that be in modern-day currency, like 50000 100000 $500,000 he owed the king? Well, in that day, a talent was the, the highest amount of currency that could be tracked. I don't know what the equivalent would be, but, you know, it's like a billion or a trillion, you know, the trillion dollars. I can't think of a higher currency than that. You know, the talent was the highest amount of currency one could track. And I believe that one talent equaled about 20 years worth of labor. One talent. In fact, the entire revenue of the, of the region of Judea in one year was 600 talents. So here you have this servant who owes the king this debt of 10,000 talents, equating to 200,000 years it would require this servant to pay off his debt. It's like owing, you know, when a kid's like a bazillion, gajillion dollars. That's what he owes the king. You know, the same way that 70 times 7 represented this unlimited amount of times one must forgive, the number 10,000 talents represented an unlimited amount of money one owed the king. It was quite unfathomable, simply an unfathomable debt a person could owe. And so is our sin. So is our sin. Our sin, that incalculable, unfathomable, unpayable debt the servant owed the king represents the debt that you and I owe God for the sin that we committed against him, for breaking God's law, for transgressing God's ways. Romans chapter 6 verse 21 says, for the wages of sin is death. That sin has a wage attached to it, and it is your life. It is death. But the free gift of God His grace, his forgiveness is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And truly not one person here can enter the kingdom of God unless they have grasped that uncalculable, unpayable, unfathomable weight of your sin. I mean, do you remember... That how enormously heavy, how distinguishedly grotesque your sin was before God forgave you of your sin. Sadly, sometimes we forget, don't we, as believers? Sadly, sometimes we forget even how ugly and gross our sin is right now. 
But in order to grasp the greatness of God's grace, one must also simultaneously grasp the weight of their sin and the wages it requires. And the servant grasps the weight of it. He's like, oh my gosh, he's going to take my family. He's going to imprison me forever. It's going to cost me my life in order to pay back this debt. So what he does is he, he falls down on his knees and he begins to beg in a position that any of us would probably take if we were in such a debt, you know, as that. He promises the king. He says, listen, just be patient with me. Just give me a little more time. And I will, and he says, I will repay it back in full. Remember, it's going to take 200,000 years to pay off this debt. I will pay it back in full. I promise which is a statement that is supposed to be found as humorous by Jesus' audience. They're supposed to be like, ha, ha, ha. He says he's going to repay it back. I think the only person who probably wouldn't find it very funny, who wouldn't laugh, is Dave Ramsey. He'd be calculating in his head. He's like, how can we apply our seven baby steps to this 10,000 talent debt? Who could acquire such a debt? Like, how do you, even in the first place, get in debt? for something that costs 200,000 years of your labor? How do you even get there in the first place? How do you pay back a debt of that size? And that's the point. You can't. You can't. And the servant knows that. He knows. And who looks just so foolish in his attempt to draw on the mercy of the king with his promise that I'll do something about it. I'll repay the debt. Yet Jesus tells us that the king, out of his pity, says out of his pity, other translations say compassion, releases the servant of his debts. Not because of anything the servant did, just because he had compassion upon him, because he had pity upon him. He said, okay, okay, I will forgive the debt. You and your family can go free. Go free. And that's what the word forgiveness means, to be set free, to be released, to be given freedom. The servant requests an extension, but what he got instead was complete forgiveness. The entire Debt canceled because the king decided to show mercy. And may I today have the honor of reminding you today that what you and I have received in Christ is not an extension on the, of the debt that we owe to God, but an entire cancellation. The forgiveness of God is not partial. It's not temporary. It's not limited. It's complete and it's eternal, meaning every sin that you have ever committed, both past, present, and yes, even future, has been and has been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross at Calvary. That doesn't mean that there aren't painful consequences for our sin. Many of us are living in the consequences, whether our own sin or another sin or even generational sin. Sin has consequences, but as for the penalty, the wages of sin that are owed to God, being death, you have been set free. You are free. And if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove your transgressions from you. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, Just confess them to God. I'm a sinner. God, I have sinned. He is faithful and he is just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And get this, I will remember their sins no more. I don't even remember what they did in the first place. 
That's how great my mercy and grace is towards you. Please tell me there's someone who just is a little bit fired up at hearing those words in Scripture today. The point is, Jesus is making this so clear. No one has forgiven you like God has. No one has forgiven you like God has. That an enormous debt that you owed because of your sin, it required an enormous amount of forgiveness, and yet you got it. Your debt's been paid for. It's been erased. It's been forgotten. And now Jesus wants to know, as a result, has God's forgiveness towards you radically altered the way that you see and live in a world marked by God's mercy and grace? Has God, his mercy, his grace, has it changed you in any way? And let's see if the forgiveness of the king has altered the servant in any way. In a world marked by the compassion of his king. Verse 28 to 30. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. <clears throat> so essentially what ha- happens here is you have this servant who's been set free, this unfathomable debt, 10,000 talents, 200,000 years of labor, and he goes and he finds the one servant who owes him 100 denarii, which equals four months worth of wages. Four months. 200,000 years, four months. And he grabs him by the throat And he begins to choke him and demand that he repay the money immediately. And so what does the second servant do? He gets down in the same posture that the first servant did, on his knees, on his face, begging, pleading with him to have mercy. He says, be patient and I will pay you back. And in fact, in the language that it's written, in the the tone and in sort of the way, the way that it's written is actually expressing, the man is expressing confidence as if I do have means to repay this. I will repay this. He's very confident. He says, just give me a little more time. I can, I can get you the money. Don't worry. But unlike the mercy he was shown by the king, the first servant then throws the second servant in prison, which was something completely forbidden in Jewish law to ever do, to have somebody thrown in prison because they owed you money. Are you getting the point? Verse 31 to 35. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servants, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, here's Jesus now. Here he is coming out of the story. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Of course, word gets back to the king of what has happened. I mean, how could it not? Now notice the total reversal of the king's attitude towards his servants. He's once merciful, and now the king is angry. He's furious that the servant wouldn't do what seemed like the most obvious thing to do. Show the guy mercy. 
when you've been showed such great mercy, wouldn't it make sense that the very thing that you do is you go and have mercy on the person who owes you such an infallibly smaller amount than the debt that you owe the king? And so then the king then takes him and he delivers him over to the jailers, which means he's going to be tortured. He is taken, he is put in jail, he is tortured until the time in which he can, in his own power, pay back the debt that he owes the king, which is never. He is never going to pay that debt back. And then in verse 35, Jesus brings out an application. He concludes by making a point. Since God has forgiven you so lavishly, you ought to forgive others in the same matter, in which, in the same way in which you have been forgiven by God. Once again today, as we, as we close, and, and I've said this many times this summer, this parable, this story, serves as both an invitation, but also as a warning. And to fully grasp it, we need to heed the invitation, and we need also at the same time need to heed the warning. That because when your sins have been forgiven by God, God doesn't just merely save you from something, meaning death. He is saving you towards something as well, meaning new life. A new life, living in, in what he calls the kingdom of God. And when as people who have been forgiven by God, when we worship, we boast of God's forgiveness. We sang today of the goodness of God towards us. When we, we, we boast of his forgiveness, forgiveness is more than just something we've been forgiven by, given by God. But it becomes now an extension of the forgiveness that God wants to offer to the entire world. That those who have been graciously, totally, and completely forgiven by God are to act in this world as divine children and heirs of a kingdom by reflecting the love and compassion of your heavenly Father who is, oh yeah, by the way, the king of this kingdom. And the king who not only calls you and I to forgive, but he requires it. What makes this such a, so provocative is that it appears in the story that there's almost this implication to our forgiveness of others. That the invitation, here's the invitation, forgive others the way God has forgiven you. Come, forgive others. See how great the mercy of God is towards you and give that same mercy to others. But now here's the warning. The warning now is what happens when you don't forgive others. Matthew 6, 14, 15 says it another way. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, if there was some way, hermeneutically, exegetically, I could squeeze us out of this passage to get us off the hook, I would do it. You, But... You and I are going to be in trouble with our Heavenly Father, with the King, if we don't forgive our fellow servants. And I, I think it's really important. I really always, when it comes to forgiveness, I need to mention this because I've experienced this in, in my own personal relationships with friends. It's important to not ever use this or to see this as spiritual manipulation. That it's like you've been severely harmed or, you know, you've just experienced this great abuse and trauma. And it's like, I've seen it where it's the church is like, just forgive and move on. It's like, ah, forgive. Get over it. No, no, no. Forgiveness can take time. 
It can take time. It's a spiritual process. And the forgiveness is part of the healing that, that God wants to bring us into. And I believe, hear me today, if that's you today, I believe God has patience for you to walk with you on that journey. And there will be a range of emotions, times where you're like, I will never forgive that person. Or I hate that person. Or whatever it may be. God has patience to walk with you through that emotion. But I think the first step, if you do want to reach that end goal of forgiving others, as we've been invited and required to do, the very first step on that journey is to keep your heart open to it. Maybe today is not the day, but my heart is open to it, and I'm willing to walk that journey of forgiveness with God. But recognize that the more you and I step into the life of God's kingdom, the further we walk, the more demanding this parable becomes of us. The more demanding, actually, this parable becomes, the further we grow and walk with God. You know, forgiveness is kind of like a game of catch. You know, my kids say, Dad, come play catch with me, and they'll be out with a ball, and, you know, they throw the ball to me, and I throw the ball back. That's what forgiveness is like. God has thrown the ball to you of forgiveness. And, it, and, and it's our job as, as his servants to take that ball and to give it back to him. Now, when it comes to my six-year-old playing catch with him, I'm not going to throw him a nasty knuckleball right down the center of the plate, 80, 80 miles an hour right at his head. No, I'm going to, what am I going to do? And he's going to be like, and maybe he drops it. Maybe he drops it because that's, you know what I mean? I love the ball. Now my 12-year-old, it's a little bit more zip. Maybe just saying things to him too that I'm like, I can hear my dad saying it to me. As I'm like, why did you not catch that ball? I'm like, oh my gosh, I just heard my dad's voice. That's terrible. That's terrible. You know, and then what's it like two professional baseball players playing catch? They're whipping that ball. Right? God throws us as his grace, and in turn, we need to throw the ball back. The more you and I enter into this world of God's forgiveness, the more demanding this parable becomes of you and I. It starts out, the first time you read it, you come into the kingdom of God. This parable is such a wonderful invitation. See God's forgiveness. Know God's love. Be released of your debt. You're set free. But as you grow and you mature in your faith, this parable becomes something more. It demands more of you. And it actually becomes a profound challenge in how I carry out my relationships based on how God has carried his relationship out with me. So you may appear on the surface that what Jesus has actually done is make his forgiveness conditional. But that's actually not what's happening here at all. What God is, what Jesus is saying is that your forgiveness towards others is not the condition of your forgiveness. It's actually the fruit of God's forgiveness towards you. It's the fruits. Your willingness to forgive is evidence that you've been forgiven. And if you can and if you won't forgive others, perhaps it's a sign to you today through the Holy Spirit that you're still in bondage to sin. You haven't been set free. No one has forgiven you like God has and never are you more like God than when you are forgiving others. So today I've gone long enough. I'll just close with this question. And I'm sure you knew this question was coming, right? Is there anyone today here you are holding, withholding forgiveness from? Is there anyone in your life that you have been withholding forgiveness from? And don't forget that the second servant still owed money to the first servant, right? Like, four, four months' wages is still a debt. It's real, right? 
It's not as much as he owed the king, but it's still in a real amount. And so just because someone's sin is smaller in comparison to your sin against God, it doesn't make their sin against you any less real. Just because if the offense isn't real, it wouldn't require any real forgiveness. So if there's been an offense made against you, you have an opportunity today to offer real forgiveness. And my encouragement to you today is this. Be quick. Set that person free quick so that you too can be set free. There's freedom and forgiveness for both parties, isn't there? Is there anyone? And today, do you need forgiveness? Is there anyone you are withholding forgiveness? But you, are you needing forgiveness? Do you recognize that there's this unfathomable, uncalculable, incredible, unpayable debt that you owe to God because of your sin? And that the only way that that debt can be paid off is not your labor, but it's Christ's forgiveness. It's what he did for you on the cross. So today, and I'll just invite you to stand. With those two questions in mind, just respond to it with me today in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your incredible grace and mercy towards us. Thank you today that you are a, a father who loves your children and that as we as your children, we make great mistakes. Oh, we have sinned great against you, God. But as sin abounds deep, Lord, your grace runs even deeper today. Like we have said, we can't outrun the goodness and mercy of our God. And today, if there's anyone who has been running today from God's grace, it's not for you. You're just you thoughts. I don't need it. We've gone past this. We've advanced. I'm better than that. Whatever it may be, I pray today that wherever they're at, Lord, that they just have a revelation that there's a God who loves them and has, is going to pursue them their entire life in love. God, you leave the 99 sheep to go after the one sheep that's lost. And Lord, today, if there's anyone who just now just recognizes that, yeah, I'm lost, I pray they know today that they have also, in that recognition that they are lost, that that same recognition also brings about that they have been found. That they have been found. And that the way that they come home is by receiving God's forgiveness, by allowing God to set you free of your debt that you owed God. God does it because he loves you. So receive it today, I pray. And in the same way, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today withholding forgiveness, I just pray, Lord, do a work in their hearts. Show them the necessity, the need, the requirements on them today to come to forgiveness. Lord, help them know that you are patient with them, Lord. And that if they're struggling today, I pray that they will not walk that journey alone. They'll walk with others. They'll walk with you on that journey towards forgiveness. But Lord, I pray today we would walk this world, Lord, releasing others, setting others free of, of their, <clears throat> you know, sin against us, God. We'd walk it and just walk it as you walk the world, Lord. You walked the world and you pardoned it. You came into the world to set us free. And may we walk the world as an extension of, of your grace and your forgiveness. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to invite our very own Rhonda to come join us. To, oh, there you are. <laughs> Thank you.